Welcome to Talent First. Talent First is brought to you by Edmondson Group Talent Access and hosted by me, Michelle Edmondson, Managing Partner for Cybersecurity Search. This season of Talent First showcases the incredible work of cybersecurity leaders across the UK, US and Australia. And my guests discuss a range of topics from how to become a business partner to the exec, how to close the skills gap, and of course, we discuss how to engage and attract the very best in cybersecurity talent. This episode of the CISO season is so good, we've made it into a two-part special. I talked to founder of Cybility, cybersecurity mentor and consultant, Michaela Leavig, about her fascinating career from pianist to security, which she aptly calls a tale of two keyboards. In this part, part one of two, Michaela and I talk about the crucial role an industry mentor can play to close that so-called skills gap in cybersecurity. But we also talk about the responsibilities of the mentor and mentee to create a powerful and purposeful relationship. As ever, hope you enjoy. I am so pleased to have you on my podcast, Michaela. Uh, We've been connected for a while. I'm an avid fan of your work. Uh, So when you contacted me to say that you were available to come on as guest, I was very happy indeed. So it's really lovely to have you here. It's brilliant to be here as well. So thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, Looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is going to be a very, very interesting one. And I know that we could probably talk for about six hours on, on all the things that I want to ask you. Um, so yeah, I will, I will try not to chip in too much, um, which is going to be very difficult for me. Um, <laughs> so our podcast is entitled Closing the Experience Gap. And I think it'll become more and more apparent as we chat why it's called that. Normally what I do with guests is, first of all, just ask you to introduce yourself a little bit, talk about your career journey so far. How did you come into the industry? Where are you now? So, yeah, over to you. Okay, so in terms of where am I now, um, I'm the founder of Cybility, which is a cybersecurity consultancy and provider of learning experiences. Um, We are very much on the playful side of things, which is slightly different to others. And what I'm doing really is combining my professional expertise in cybersecurity with my longtime passion of hobby gaming. So I'm a gamer in all forms, whether it's computer gaming, board gaming, role play gaming, you name it, I'm there. Uh, with the exception of live action role play, actually, because I can't act for toffee. And then also combining it with my music. Um, so what some people will be surprised to learn about me is that my degree is actually in classical music. Um, I specialised in musicology and did quite a lot of early music with the uh, harpsichord and things like that. And, you know, it's not perhaps the most obvious route into cybersecurity. But for me, I was always, I described my story as like a tale of two keyboards, the computer keyboard and the music keyboard. And I think looking back, I don't think I appreciated it at the time, but looking back, I was very fortunate that my mum, she liked gadgets herself. And I've got a very vivid memory of being taken, I think I was like 10 years old, into this dark, dingy shop on um, this kind of small back road. Um, And it was uh, full of cardboard boxes, I remember. And in that shop, we purchased an Acorn Electron. And that was my very first computer. 
So ever since then, um, you know, I'd play games, uh, text-based things and all sorts. Um, and so that's where really my love of computing started. And, you know, back then, if you wanted to get a game on something, you'd play a tape. Remember those cassette recorder tapes? <laughs> you'd like get the volume just you right. Tipex on where you had to get the volume, was it? So yeah. Like, like Manic Minor and all those kinds of things. Exactly that, yeah, yeah. And it was either that or sit down and type out all the code from the gaming magazine and then kick yourself for making a typing mistake and have to do it again, yeah. So that's my kind of early experience. And, and then through, I went to a girls' grammar school and again, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but looking back, I do now. Um, we actually had two women teaching as a job share. And this is back in the late 80s early 90s I'm talking about here and, and they job shared the computer teaching course and what was even more remarkable again looking back is that the boys from the local grammar school their school they would actually come to our school to do computing because we had a computer lab and they didn't mm -hmm. so you know when I hear people talk these days about oh you know we need to get girls into STEM they're not doing this blah 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 I'm just like actually you know that there are some places that do it really well in leading by example and bucking that trend I suppose so yeah I, I think I was very fortunate really um, in hindsight to have that those role models so after that um, it's probably maybe just worth me mentioning here as well that um, whilst I loved my music and computing and I spent lots of time doing both I did actually completely flunk my exams pretty much uh for that school I think I got was it a d in music and an e in the computer as level or something like that I can't remember but um you know not good grades I then ended up taking a year out and I did a music foundation and dance degree um not degree but a diploma um, at college and I was doing some teaching there as well which was great fun got to work with adults and then I went to Colchester and did my music degree came out uh Christmas time and I'm, this is going to sound so strange to people I know I was looking for a computer game for my boyfriend at the time it was a gift and my hometown didn't have any decent shops whereas whereas at the uni they had like a dedicated, awesome, independent computer game shop. And to this day, I can't tell you what made me go from <laughs> the idea of like, you know, just, oh my God, what this town could really use as a computer game shop to actually opening it up myself. Couldn't tell you, but you know, so that kind of entrepreneurial spirit has been there for a long time, I, I think. <laughs> how did you find that like you know were, were people kind of surprised when they walked in and there was a, a woman oh yeah oh yes that there was actually um yeah they definitely surprised um I think the combination as well of being young black woman as well in what was once again actually a very white male middle-aged field in terms of you know who the shopkeepers were and I remember um, going along to a meeting of independent game retailers, uh, computer game retailers, and I was treated like the secretary. It's one of those lessons that, again, looking back, I should have realised that perhaps volunteering to take notes was not the best move. But I know it now. 
So tip for anybody, if you want to be taken seriously around a table, do not volunteer to take the notes, especially if you're the only woman in the room. And actually, there was a great, um, I might share it with you afterwards. On the shop's first birthday, we were in the Computing Indie magazine and (laughs) the article the guy wrote, he like starts off with sort of setting the scene about this shop and like all these kids there playing, but then talks about kind of gall of this owner to uh come in and not only is she a girl but and young but this is just a stop on her way to doing her PhD in music kind of thing it is not exactly those words but um yeah he's he's kind of take making a bit of a play on that difference so what got you from that to founding Cybility quick quiz bang tour then would be I went from that to, unfortunately, the shop burnt down. When was it? I can't even remember what year now. In February at some point. Um, And I was very lucky because I wasn't there in the shop at the time. And so I made the very difficult decision of moving down south. And I tried being a housewife. It didn't really suit me. And then I took a part-time job thinking, oh, I'll just get out of the house a bit, make some friends, you know, get a bit of structure to my day and joined the Internet Exchange, uh, which was an internet cafe, if you remember the days of those, uh, at Gatwick Airport. Within the first week, their manager quit, and I was asked if I would temporarily manage the unit whilst they sorted it out. And I said, yes, of course. Time passed. I was then managing three units there, um, and, yeah, it all got a bit crazy. So, again, I tried to leave and be a housewife again didn't suit me so in the end it was just leave that relationship um move on I ended up temping for a bit got my foot in the door in local government and IT help desk worked my way up the ranks there and I stayed in local government for probably a good 10 odd years if not more so uh, I think as a founding place you know to get experience I think local government's actually really good but on the flip side they don't have a lot of money so you know and then I moved on to the business side uh, doing service transformation work uh, for a partnership of councils so that again was really good in terms of rounding out my skill set um, so very much the project management side of things and unfortunately in my second year of that I was taken ill with cancer. So um, it was breast cancer. So I had to take a year out for treatment, which was ugh, how best to explain it. I don't remember much of that year. It's all very fuzzy. Uh, chemotherapy was not a fun journey for me, unfortunately. And when I came out of that, my job had been tupied over to Washington District Council. And uh, what that means is basically... My, it had just moved from one council to another because they were now going to deliver that shared service. I found that I wasn't really happy doing the old role anymore. I wanted something a bit more challenging. I made that known and they were kind of like, well, okay, we don't have any other jobs. Then this amazing, he was the director of corporate services. He probably wouldn't mind if I mentioned his name, Peter Dawes. He took me out for lunch and he said, look, Michaela, I do have one opening. It's for a data classification role. And I'm like thinking, what? Um, But he then explained that it's actually about looking after people's data and securing it. So then I started getting interesting. So it's like, well, actually, what threats are there to people's data? 
I hadn't really thought about it. And, you know, all those years in IT and I've not really thought about it. I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking IT is synonymous with security and it's Mm. not. So, yeah, he said, look, I'm prepared to take a risk on you if you're prepared to take a risk on me. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. He is responsible for the rest of my career in cybersecurity, effectively, because had he not done that, I'd never have thought about it. It wasn't just wasn't in my sphere of a career that I could even consider. I mean, we talk about squiggly routes in, but goodness me, that is a that's a heck of a squiggly route. And what I really love is the fact that like you say you are a, a student of music. I spoke to Jessica Nemers um, in my last episode and she was a ballerina. And I'm speaking to all these people that, you know, I spoke to somebody that has a theatre studies degree and somebody else has got a psychology degree. And it's just so wonderful to hear that, you know, the traditional routine isn't always necessary. So that's that's really great to hear. It's also, this might sound weird to say, but it's great to hear that failure also got you where you are as well. So I was the same as you. I mean, I wasn't a big fan of school, which is ironic that I then became a teacher, but I I just didn't do very well. I just hated it. It wasn't a great school. And so I didn't do very well. But then I went to do my A-levels and my degree and I flew because I wasn't in that same situation. Mm. But I do think failure, you know, can make you who you are as well. And how phenomenally resilient with everything you've been through as you must be. And that's a, a really fantastic story to hear about how you got into into this industry it does need somebody to believe in you and take a chance you know that that's the key thing I I think from that story as well absolutely and it may only take like you say just that one person that says have Mm. you thought or I think you'd be really good at kind of leads me on beautifully how what a lovely seg to my (laughs) my first key question so like I said at the start, our podcast is called Closing the Experience Gap, and we're talking about mentorship, education, and apprenticeships. But I want to start off by talking about mentorship mm-hmm. and its importance to the cybersecurity industry. And I want to split that into kind of two segments. So first, I want to talk about what mentoring actually is and you know, who should be a mentor. So we'll start with that. So um, mentoring is fundamentally sharing of your experience with somebody who's coming up behind you so you know there's nothing sort of difficult or magical about it it's just being open to sharing your experience honestly with people and in doing that again you can help open people's eyes to things that they maybe wouldn't have thought of before what it isn't is it's not coaching and it's not counseling And what I mean by that is being a coach tends to be where you have a very specific goal that you're going to sort of coach somebody through. And you also don't need experience in that industry. So you can coach somebody from any walk of life, really, using specific techniques. Now, when it comes to mentoring, mentoring, you do need relevant experience in that industry in order to share some experience that's going to be valid and helpful. That said, I do use coaching skills as part of mentoring. So it's definitely helpful if you sort of have that in your tool bag. But fundamentally, as long as you've worked in the field, even for if it's just like a year, you know, you can still share that experience with somebody who's a year behind you and just starting out, you know, right up through the chain. Um, And I would say as well that I think there's a particular shortage of 
later stage experienced mentors to help mentor mid-career people. I see quite a lot of people mentoring early career, but not mid-stage. Um, but yeah, that, that's the main things. And then just going back to the point about counselling, it may be that, you know, in doing those conversations with people, things are shared that are very sensitive and you do need to know where the line is to draw and make sure that, you know, you do refer them on to the appropriate help if that's required. So, yeah, I think in terms of what's required, being willing to talk, have any experience, the ability to listen, active listening is a really important skill. And so I definitely say that because quite often people will talk about where they are in their experience, but not actually say what really going on and it's through active listening and open questions that you can sort of really dig into that in order to help them um anything else i'd say about that that's probably the top three things i'd pick out i know with good because i did some coaching you know years ago and it was we were always told that you have to lead people to make their own kind of realizations yes. so not just to give advice immediately and go oh i know i did this before and i did this and it worked really well it's leading them to make those decisions and come to those conclusions yes. themselves. So is, is mentoring that same kind of process? Yeah, I'd say so. It, uh, and I'd, I'd say it depends as well on the mentee. So I will adjust my style depending on who it is and what I think is going to work for them. So there are definitely those where I don't give answers. I challenge, I ask questions and help them figure it out for themselves. And then there are those where that sort of approach is almost too aggressive. And so a sort of softer sharing of, well, this is what worked for me in that situation. This is how it's played out for me. It may be different for you because of X, Y, Z. You know, how might that play out? And sort of just bouncing things around in that sort of way. It depends. It depends. And what about upskilling as a mentor? So, you know, you've talked about there are a lot of early career mentors. If you wanted to upskill and maybe think of, you know, mid-career and then, you know, people looking to go into the C-suite or the board mm. or whatever it might be, what, what kind of things can you do to upskill? Um, so first thing, do you have a mentor yourself would be what I'd say, because, you know, we can all benefit no matter what stage you're at. I'm actually a member of the um, EMCC, which is a mentoring and coaching um, in UK. And they have lots of resources that are really helpful in terms of helping you know, sort of think about these sorts of things and making you aware of different techniques. Um, I, I can't help but uh, mention for people who work in enterprises, um, large organisations, there's a really good book by Sue. Oh, God, her name's gone out of my head. Suddenly. Sue Noble. Sue Noble. It's basically about coaching through organisational change. Maybe we can link it in the resources yeah. afterwards. And it's like a sort of toolkit of different things that you can use for different situations. So uh, I'd say in terms of upskilling, there's things you can do there, but there's also like the formal programs with the um, industry bodies. So like, for example, Women in Cybersecurity, they've got a mentoring program and they have resources that support mentors in how to actually you know, mentor other people. And mentoring in groups is a different experience to mentoring individuals as well. I'd say there's as a group mentoring operation. And there's also like a Slack channel for people to ask for help 
you know, when they're stuck with something with a mentee. Um, so, you know, having that network of people to support is really important. And I think they do it very well. There's also, you know, ISARCA have a mentoring scheme. BCS has mentoring. So there's lots of options there in terms of those professional bodies that can support. Um, and then again, with online learning, on-demand learning that they all typically tend to have. Again, most of them tend to have something around mentoring as well that you can work through. Um, if you're lucky enough to have, say, a LinkedIn learning subscription, lots on there about mentoring as well. So, yeah, there's lots of schemes and lots of help out there. That support is really important, isn't it? I think it's also important to be brave enough sometimes to say, I don't know the answer. I'm going yeah. to go out for you and then come back yeah. rather than just talk and <laughs> and just give yeah. advice that's just not right. So having yeah. that support and having those organisations that have those resources are just really crucial for the mentor. Yeah. What about organisational mentoring? So mm. uh, we've talked about the individual. So what are the benefits uh, for mentor, you know, like somebody like you going in and mentoring an organisation? Okay, so that's um, obviously quite different. And organisations will typically have their own, um, it's again, large organisations as is, will typically have their own mentoring scheme for staff internally anyway. But one of the challenges in our field especially is there just aren't enough of us cybersecurity professionals with years of experience behind us. And if you don't have that expertise in-house, then, you know, they're obviously not there to mentor people that you want to sort of bring up. And as I said, you know, internal coaches can assist, but it's different from mentoring. And ideally, you probably want both. So where my um, service comes in, which is, a, we call it Cybility XP Boost, uh, which I'm sure the gamers out there will appreciate the use of XP there. Um, and the idea is that it's a very structured approach to introducing, basically, I call it pro um, experience by proxy. So say, for example, you've been really struggling to fill a vacancy and you have somebody who's like really keen, you know, maybe they've got their masters and they're really keen, really passionate, but no experience. And it is a risk to take them on. There's no two ways about that. But you can reduce that risk and actually close that hole rather than waiting for your ideal unicorn. If you bring them on, pair it with a service like mine, that experience by proxy. And it's like giving them guardrails. So then you sort of take them through a very structured program of you know understanding both the organization what does it really need and that's something again that I'm sure you see as well about you know they might come to you with a job description saying this is what we want but actually it's perhaps a mix of several different things and me being able to go in talk with the leaders understand okay well this is where you're at this is actually what you need so this is the first thing we should be working on with this mentee this is where they're strong this is where you know they're going to need support and you know we sort of manage that through the process and also we focus quite a lot on communication because that is you know one of the huge areas that we as techies tend to struggle with and you know me being one of those as well and um it's something you can get better at Absolutely. And I do basically 360s. So once they've been working there a while, we do a questionnaire of people that they're working with, both in their kind of immediate circle, but also wider in the business if they've interacted with other people and hopefully they will have done. 
Um, and then we use that information to sort of feed back in. We also do skill assessments against the CSEC, so uh, Chartered Institute of Information Security framework, their skills framework and their knowledge framework to help, you know, sort of plot that path for their development going forward. Um, and it's always useful, I think. They basically get you kind of almost on, not quite on tap, not live on tap necessarily, depending what else you're up to. But there's always that person that they can reach out to and say, oh, you know, I found myself in this situation. What do you think I should be doing about it? So I, I think it's a really powerful combination that can, as I say, help organisations reduce their risk whilst uh, they've got those vacancies there. And, uh, you know, we know we've got those huge shortages across the world. So we've got to be more creative about how we fill them. And it takes some investment from companies, doesn't it? And it's a kind of have a mentor come in and audit with them and look at the skill set that they have and then take on board that advice. But like you say, the advantages of that to a company of mm. retaining staff and upskilling staff. I mean, we'll talk about the skills gap catch all in, in a moment, but that, I, I guess that investment just pays off, doesn't it? Uh, absolutely. No question about it. But for me personally, I find it really rewarding to see, you know, that that transformation of somebody who's, you know, sort of come in and working through a program and then becoming a really valuable member of the team. I mean, for me, that's just like one of the best things, which is probably why I, I do that side of things, to be honest, because it's, uh, as you say, it's a time investment on both sides, you know. So let's um, move on slightly and talk about the mentee. So the mentee mm. also has responsibilities, but I don't think maybe they're quite as frequently discussed as when we talk about the responsibilities of the mentor. So mm. so what, what are the responsibilities? I mean, you know, in terms of finding the right uh, mentor, the res their responsibilities in terms of turning up and putting the work in. Mm. Um, you know, what advice would you give? Okay, so first thing I would say, is as the mentee, you are responsible for your career, no one else, okay? Bottom line, it, it's your career, your life. And there are many of us in this profession who give our time for free, who are happy to answer questions, help you on your journey, but we can't do it for you and we won't do it for you. So, in my, I do these um, voluntary sessions free on Friday evenings and some people, they sign up and they don't turn up. And so, you know, my second piece of advice is if you do reach out to somebody, then do turn up and do take advantage, you know, of, of them offering to share their expertise. I find it personally quite frustrating because it means they're taking the opportunity away from somebody else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's a little bit of a pet peeve for me as a mentor <laughs> but then also you know if you do show up be clear about what help you think you need you know where are you at and I don't know if I can is it a swear word if I say bullshit sorry no no that's fine no? okay um yeah so, so so don't give any bullshit just be honest real because that's the only way that a mentor is going to be able to really help you. So that's my third thing. Uh, and then the next thing would be, again, take on board what they're saying to you. And they will be saying it from a place of trying to help. Now, again, I think more experienced mentors will gauge the mentee and figure out how best to articulate that feedback. 
and less experienced ones may struggle in how to do that. So there's definitely, when you're talking about upskilling mentors earlier, there's definitely something about how to give feedback as well. And I do sometimes as well just ask, you know, outright, how do you want it? Straightforward, no frills or, or, or not, you know. And I think the people who hear what you're saying and take it on board and then dive into that a bit more and ask questions, those are the people that I see who tend to grow in their career and carry on because they've got that growth mindset, the idea that it's not stuck, they can change, they just need to figure out what it is that's going to make the difference. Whereas those people who kind of just don't listen, they assume you're wrong, it's like, well, that's my experience, your mileage may vary. And yeah, I don't see them again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got to, like you say, turn up, but with a, an open mind and yes. the willingness to learn. And I guess decide, are you, be, are, are you looking for a mentor because you really want to be mentored? Or is it just something you think you should be doing and you're not really that open to it? Which I know sounds yeah. really daft. We did some graduate coaching not long ago with a couple of UK universities and we had a couple of students that were like, yep, we definitely want to hear what you've got to say about looking for, you know, work in the tech industry and how do we make ourselves stand out? So we did this whole spiel and then a couple of them just went, no, I don't think that's what you do. <laughs> but, um, we've been, we, you know, we're a search firm that's got 25 years experience. So uh, I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, we probably do know what we're talking about. So yeah. yes, open-minded, but turn up with the, the absolute notion that you want to be mentored yeah yeah and as I say that that realization that there is going to be some work involved that there are definitely uh, some people who turn up and they're actually just not ready to be a mentee I have said that to a few people and, and said okay look I recommend you go away do xyz feel free to come back to me once you've done that but until then, I honestly don't think you're ready. And I hate to say that. I have to say, uh, as a mentor, I hate to say that, but th that's the reality for some people. It's better that than dragging them through a process that they're not ready for, because it's not good for, for either of you as mentor or mentee. Mm.